0: Mum up here on the base yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i 'm going to continue on a little bit where I left off last Sunday morning, and let me say this to you today as a church that everything i 'm preaching right now and and even the last few weeks that i 've been preaching on holiness and the necessity for holiness and without holiness, the Bible tells us we will never see the lord and and Everything that I'm preaching at the moment has been a build-up to what I started preaching last Sunday and will be continuing this Sunday. And I want to be very open with you that what I'm teaching at the moment is actually coming out of material that I'm reading and listening to and that our staff is reading and listening to. And it's based predominantly on uh, the teaching of a man by the name of Robert Ferguson, Uh, Robert Henderson, sorry. Robert Ferguson's from Hillsong, isn't he? Robert Henderson. Um, His signature book is called Operating in the Courts of Heaven. And it's about getting breakthrough in our prayer life. And it's about getting breakthrough into the destiny that God has for every individual in this room. Every person on this planet has a destiny. I, I spoke last Sunday out of Psalm 139. Uh, In particular, verse 16, where the psalmist says to the Lord, You saw my unformed body while it was being created in the womb. And all the days of my life that you have ordained for me have been written in your book before one of those days ever began. And every one of us have a destiny handwritten by God, a purpose for which we are on this planet. And it's a purpose that he has called us to fulfill and robert henderson has this amazing revelation and it took me a little while to get my head around some of it and still now i'm struggling to get my head around some of it but it's really about prayer happens more in a courtroom than it does on a battlefield and we spend a lot of our time yelling and screaming at the devil and in reality it doesn't do a whole lot of good because we have to get legal things in place for us to be able to get heaven to legally bring about a transformation in our life. Why it's so blessed me, I think, is that it's teaching that is completely lined up with the Living Free program that we haven't run one for a little while, but the Living Free program that we've run numerous times in the past in our church. And uh, you know that illustration that I gave last Sunday about what I believe happens is when we come to God for a breakthrough and we want Him to answer our prayers, that God being a merciful God and a compassionate God, and He is our Father, and as our Father wants to bless us. He's moved with His compassion for our circumstance and our dilemma and our bondage and our problem and our storm that we're facing at the moment. He's moved with compassion, but biblically, and I've seen this biblically, He he can be blocked by a legal right that the devil, our adversary, and that is a legal term, adversary. It means an opponent at law. And our adversary, our opponent at law, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now he's looking to devour a destiny. And he's looking for a legal right to devour your destiny. And that legal right is given to him by the choices we make, the lifestyles we lead, the sins we are engaging in. And he has a right to block God from giving us the breakthrough that we're all wanting because we're not allowing God to have whole access to our soul. We're holding things back. We're, we're engaging in things that are not godly, that are not biblical. And it literally gives the devil legal right to, to block our destiny. I've shared that with you because I can't do this justice. So I want you and I encourage you to get a hold of the book. The signature book is operating in the courts of heaven and devour it for yourself. And the book that is the sequel to that is Unlocking Destinies from the Courts of Heaven. And it's about putting legal things in place that gives God our Father the legal right as judge of all the earth to grant our petitions. It's quite an insightful read and it really has opened my eyes to the necessity of holiness. Because without which we will not see God. We will not see him in our breakthrough. We will not see him in our problem. We will not see him in our marriage. We will not see him in our family. We will not see him in our businesses. We will not see him, period, without God. I want to see God moving in my life. And I will not see God without holiness. And the devil knows that. And so if my life does not belong to God, if my life is not surrendered to him, if I am not unconditionally abandoning my future, my all, my everything, if I'm not... Declaring the world behind me, the cross before me, the devil will have a legal right to block every flow of God's blessing into my circumstances. You look at it for yourself. Right now, there are 15 copies of that book, hard copies. You can get it on Kindle, uh, e-books, whatever it is you use. So you can just go and don't do it now. I'm preaching. Um, but you can get it on Kindle. I've got the second book on Kindle, and I've, I've got the first book in a hard copy. But there are... Was that our sound system? There's a car going past. My goodness. People think it's loud in here. Imagine being in that man's car. You can, you can get that book. There are 15 hard copies downstairs right now and are available to the first 15. There's no set of steak knives though if you're the first 15, but it's there if you want to get it. And I would strongly encourage you to devour the material. Our staff have been on it for for quite some time now. We're also listening to his podcasts and discussing that in our staff meeting. So much of what I'm teaching at the moment is based upon that revelation. I'm not teaching it verbatim, but just coming out of the revelation that I'm getting for it. But last week we looked at at Psalm 139, but I closed last week's message looking at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26 through 29. And I want to just open with this one this morning. It should be up on the screen there for you. If we willfully sin, key word is willfully, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, to whom much is given, much is required. When you receive the knowledge of the truth and you understand what the Bible is calling us to be and do and the life that he is calling us to in in our walk on this earth before we meet him in heaven, when you get a revelation of that, there is an accountability that comes. God will call us to account for what we've done with the, the knowledge of the truth that we have received. He won't slam us for things that we Did not know, but when we knew and then willfully walked away or willfully disobeyed, the author here says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That's a scary thought. This is New Testament, this is not Old Testament, this is not law, this is New Testament, New Covenant revelation. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a certain Fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. The adversaries of God, it's talking about the enemy. So it, it goes on and it describes that when, when people rejected the law of Moses, they died at the hand of two or three witnesses. And he says, how much, how much more will they be punished, do you suppose, who have trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of Jesus as a common thing? So when you get a revelation of of the death of Christ and what it cost him to, to buy our freedom and our reconciliation back to the Father, what it cost him to open heaven above us. If we then continue to live a life that is contrary to the life he has died to give us and we willfully sin, it's treating the blood of Jesus as a common thing. You might say, oh no, I still trust in the blood of Jesus, but... Where you see, the but reduces the power of the blood of Jesus, the respect that we should have for the blood of Jesus, down to what the author calls a common thing. It's a playing the fool with the Word of God. Literally, it's playing the fool with the Word of God, living life how we think it should be lived, rather than how God has designed for us to live. It's like the days of the book of Judges. Remember, before there was a king, before there was an established authority, a governmental authority in the land. In the days of the book of Judges, you commonly read, they did what seemed right in their own eyes. We are not living in that day. We're living in a day where we need to do what is revealed in the word of God, the Bible. Because the Bible is the word of God to us today, it's the only reliable information we have about God, and it's his revelation for the life he has called us to. It's not behavior modification, it's transformation. And when you're transformed from the inside out, your behavior automatically changes and you do things without even thinking about it. It's not about trying to change, it's about when Jesus gets a hold of your life, and he brings a revelation. That revelation produces transformation. Information that does not become transformation is head knowledge. It'll do nothing to change your life. We are called to allow the Word of God to transform our hearts so that we, we not just willingly but, but naturally come into alignment with who he is and his character, his nature, being transformed in the image of his son. When we're transformed into the image of his son, Things change on the inside. Yesterday, I was reading over the story of King Saul. In particular, the demise and the downfall of Saul's kingdom. And it's quite a a sobering read, particularly when you you read it in the light of this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it's the beginning of the end. For God's anointed man. Saul was anointed. Saul was called. Saul was set apart. You read the chapters leading up to this. You discover he was God's man. He was appointed and anointed by heaven. But in chapter 15, he, he began his downward spiral. And it came out of the same kind of mindset that says, I will do what seems right in my own eyes rather than what God has called me to do. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15... The word of the Lord comes to Saul and very, very clearly instructs him to annihilate the Amalekite nation. Now, they must have been some pretty evil people for God to say annihilate the entire race, spare nothing that has a connection with the Amalekites. And this is the mob that caused Israel so much grief when they were transitioning from Egypt into the promised land, into the wilderness. The Amalekites was one of the nations that that constantly came against them, constantly oppressed the purpose of God for the people of God. And, And they had obviously engaged in stuff where God had said, thus far, no further, you're finished. So he comes to the king of Israel and he says, I want you to obliterate this nation off the face of the earth. Every specific detail is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want you to kill their women and kids as well. They must have been pretty bad. I want you to take their livestock and destroy. I don't even want you to keep a guinea pig if you find, I want you to annihilate every trace of the Amalekite nation. That was the word of the Lord to King Saul. His job was to hear that word and obey that word, but he didn't. And that was the beginning of the end. It's interesting that Saul spiritualized his disobedience and justified it by saying, well, I kept some of the livestock to sacrifice to the Lord. And it's in that passage that We read those famous words. Samuel says to Saul, To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken to the voice of God is better than the fat of any ram that you bring to the temple. Thinking you're honoring God. You can't honor God with a sacrifice when you're dishonoring him with your lack of obedience. So he says to Saul, Your throne is being removed from you as of this day because of your disobedience. He didn't just spare some of the best of the cattle and the sheep to sacrifice to the Lord. We can make ourselves look so good and so spiritual when deep down inside of us, we're operating in a heart of disobedience. He spared, obviously, a whole stack of people from the Amalekite nation. When you read on from that chapter, you get a sobering insight of the repercussions of that man's disobedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, Ziklag is sacked and burned with fire. And it's that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where we read those famous words, David encouraged himself in the Lord. They came back from dealing with... um, Battles and and issues that the kingdom was facing. David was about to become king. Saul was really at the end of his life. And uh, David comes back to Ziklag, their hometown, and all of his mighty men are with him. And and they, they look from the hill down into the valley, and the place is ablaze. They took their wives, they took their kids. They took their possessions and they took them captive and headed off. In that context, the men became so emotionally messed up, they wanted to kill their leader. David's just doing what God called him to do. But they became so emotionally messed up that they said they sought to stone David. They were blaming him because we're out serving you. And while we're out serving you, this has happened to our possessions, our homes, our families. And and this is just so wrong. But David encouraged himself in the Lord it was perpetrated by the Amalekites this event in 1 Samuel 30 would never have happened if Saul had been obedient unconditionally to the word of the Lord the Amalekites were not meant to have even existed at this point in time but because of this man's disobedience it's the Amalekites that are now continuing to cause grief to the people of God. David then takes off to deal with the Amalekites. A military endeavor he should not have had to have put resource and energy into. Because if Saul had been obedient, this would never have taken place. 2 Samuel chapter 1, two chapters later, David has just returned from dealing with the Amalekites. When a young man comes to him and reports that Saul, King Saul, is dead. And David says, how do you know he's dead? He said, because I just was with him on Mount Gilboa. And you saw he was dead. He said, yes. He said, in fact, I killed him. He said, Saul had been wounded and the enemies were encroaching upon him. And David, he said, Saul asked me to finish him off because I didn't think he was going to live anyway. Could have done everything within his power to get Saul out of there. Could have put him on his horse. Could have said, well, I'm going to do everything I can to save this man's life. Could have brought Saul to David to have him healed, to have him treated, to have him whatever. And if he died then, well, then so be it. It's the hand of God. But this guy's looking at David saying saying, I finished him off because Saul asked me to finish him off. So I finished him off. And David then broke down and wept. And after he had finished weeping over the death of Saul, someone had caused him a lot of grief, but recognized he was still God's anointed. He turns to the young man. Who are you? He said. And he said, I'm the son of an alien. Not from Mars. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jewish person. He said, I am an Amalekite. If you don't deal with things in your life, they will come back and bite you. If you half-heartedly deal with things in your life, if you flippantly say, well, Lord, I really want to follow you and I know you're calling me to this and I'm happy to do that, but I really don't want to do that. That's going a little bit too far. That's a bit prudish. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll come to church and I'll, you know, if you don't deal with the things that the Word of God is calling us to deal with, and I'm not just talking about the written Word of God, I'm talking about the Word of God to your life, the voice, that soft, small voice that the Lord brings in our devotional time where He puts His finger on things to say, I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to live like that anymore. I want you to let go of that now. You've been doing that for a long time. It's time. I've, I've let you do it, but I'm, it's time for you to let it go. I'm calling you to higher ground. I'm calling you to a new level of breakthrough. If we, if we don't allow God that absolute ownership of our life, and if we don't deal with the things that he's calling us to deal with, they will come back and bite us. They will come back and cause us grief in the future. The Amalekites should never have existed when they sacked Ziglag. So there was a continued suffering because of one man's disobedience. And then at the end, that one man who should have annihilated that nation probably wouldn't have been on Mount Gilboa fighting a battle that should never have existed if he'd have been obedient in the first place. And then he's finished off by the Amalekite he should have killed. What we don't deal with will eventually come back and bite us. The author of the Hebrews, a few chapters after chapter 10, says these words in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, people who have gone before us, people who can testify of the faith of God, the the, the, the goodness of God, the consistency of god the faithfulness of god to do what he says he will do these are the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us we read about them at the chapter before hebrews chapter 11 the great hall of faith we are surrounded by these people to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up let us strip off every weight that that holds us down that weighs us down but especially strip off the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, a champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We're running a race that will make us weary. We're running running a race that in the natural will seem like it's costing us something. Will seem like it's coming at, at times too high a price. But if we will stay faithful and consistent and obedient and we are unreservedly abandoned to whatever he brings into my life, whatever challenge he sets me up for, whatever storm he allows to roll into my circumstances, if we will stay faithful and consistent and not become discouraged and not allow ourselves to become so weary to the point of giving up, we will get the breakthrough we're called to and heaven will back us all the way as long as we're owned by Jesus. It's a heavy word because today we don't want to be owned by anybody. We don't want to be controlled by anybody, particularly living in an Aussie culture where nobody's going to tell me what to do, not even God. It can be a difficult decision to make, but if we will surrender and say, God, I'm separated to you. I am owned by you. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be a blessing to you. Let every thought that I entertain be an honoring thing to you. Let every part of my life declare the greatness and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Let me live a wholly separated life to you, because then I will see the Lord. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. You've got to get that. That is New Testament. Without holiness, you will not see God. Stop complaining because God's not giving you your breakthrough. He's already told you, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. He's made it very, very clear. You know, it's interesting. The author of Hebrews doesn't just blame blatant sin for sabotaging our God-ordained destiny. But he recognizes that there are far more subtly deceitful roadblocks to our future. Things that in and of themselves seem okay. Things that in and of themselves seem fine. Many of you know, I used to play in a pipe band when I was a teenager and, and I ate, slept and breathed pipe bands. You might think that's really weird and probably to most people it is. But I, I there was something, it got in my blood and I loved it I love the competitive thing. I love the social thing. I love the sound. When Margot and I are somewhere and I hear a pipe band in the distance, she knows I've disappeared. I go looking for it. It just does something to me. And, and a number of years ago, when I, in fact, when I was the assistant pastor here, I tried to go back into that world. There's nothing nothing wrong with bagpipes. They're not sinful in and of themselves. They're not not wrong. They're not unbiblical. Some of you might think they are. Some of you might think they originated in hell. But there are actually bagpipes in the Bible. And I can show you that. And and I get them out from time to time. Some of you have seen me play them on this platform. It's been a long time. Maybe it's time they came out again. And we did a few old hymns and we dusted off the... But you see, I tried to go back. And then they go, oh, we've got an engagement this Sunday. Well, actually, I can't come, fellas. I'm I'm in church on Sunday. Can't you just miss it once? Just come to the engagement. But then there'd be an engagement the following Sunday, and then there'd be then there'd be more. I say, come on, we need you. You know, you you've got to be there. And I say, look, no, I need to go to church. Well, I, the church will survive without you. Well, actually they won't. I'm the pastor, you know. <laughs> Although back then I was the assistant pastor. But it's like, and it was starting to pull me away from the very thing I was called to. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, I want you to forsake that. It's, it's something that will weigh you down. It will become a hindrance. And it's one of these things in Hebrews chapter 12. This is lay aside every weight that hinders. And the Lord's saying, I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm just saying it's not what I want you caught up in because it's going to consume more of your time and energy and it will actually dis- distract you from the very thing that I've called you to. You know, and it's interesting, these subtle things... In and of themselves, can become so distracting because they're not sinful. We then justify it and say, "Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says I can't do this." No, absolutely not. If you want to do it, you go for it. But if it distracts you from the main game, if it distracts you from where God is calling you to, you will miss your destiny, and that's not being holy. Because holy is being separated to Him. He's not going to call every one of you to give up everything you're doing. He's not going to. He's not going to do that. He wants to know though that he can at any time if he chooses to, and he, you won't have a problem with it. You think about the things that you love, the things that you are really possessive of, the things that you are really wanting to be a part of your life. Stop for a moment and think, if Jesus said to me, I want you to let that go right now, could you do it? I think it's an indicator of just how much Jesus owns us. And I I believe with all my heart, half the time he tells us to give something up to see if we'll do it. And then when we do, we give it back. Because he knows it doesn't own us. He knows that 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 we use things but love him. You know, we, we we need to be prepared to let things go, like Abraham did with his son Isaac. Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. He was the fulfilment of God's promise. Can you imagine the turmoil? That Abraham's feeling. Take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. This is the child of promise. Through you, Abraham, through Isaac, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This, this, this is going to obliterate the promise. Like, I just want you to give him to me. Why? Don't Never mind. Just do as you're told. That's the essence of that story. So Abraham, without questioning God, takes Isaac up the mountain, puts the wood on his back, He's going to kill him and he he makes him carry the wood. You know, Abraham made Isaac carry the wood. But believe me, Abraham was carrying the burden. They get to the top of the hill. It goes to the point where Isaac is laid on this, whatever it was he had, an altar of some sort. He raises a knife ready to plunge it into his son's chest. When all of a sudden the Lord says, stop, I don't want you to do it. In essence, he just said, I want to know that you would if I asked you to. And now that I know you will not even withhold your son, I can trust you with anything. He got his son back. Probably had a more blessed time with his son than ever before, knowing I'm not controlled by you, Isaac. I'm controlled by heaven. And when we're controlled by heaven, whatever we give up, we're going to get something far greater back into our life. It may not look like it at the time, but it's called enduring the race that is set before us. Things that distract us, things of no real eternal value that can consume our time and keep us from what Paul said. There's one thing I do I forget what's behind and I press toward the goal. What was the goal? It was to lay a hold of that for which Jesus laid a hold of him. That was the goal. Forgetting what lies behind, I abandon everything. We've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to trust that he's a good God. And sometimes we might feel stripped bare and naked and, and like we've, we've copped the, the raw end of a bad deal. But ultimately, if we stay the course, greater blessing will unfold into our life. Greater thing, let's not become distracted from the main thing. Forget what's behind, and we need to press on and lay a hold of that for which Jesus laid a hold of me. And for me, I couldn't go back to the pipe. I was tempted again just a couple of months ago. I went to the Aberdeen Highland Games, it was like a drug addict going back to the den. And I'm listening to the pipe bands. And I'm, and I, oh, my heart's singing. And I think, oh, i listen to that. That sound. oh, I could be out there. Yeah, I could be out there. And I've got guys right now chasing me to come back because it's a dying breed. And they're all the guys I played with. They're all saying, come back, we need you. Oh, I'm a bit rusty now. The fingers aren't as supple as they used to be. They're trying to get me to come back. And I was so tempted. And then I just felt the Lord say to me, are you doing it again? Stay with the main game. Stay with the main game. You know, let's not let things distract us. Things that in and of themselves are not bad, but keep us preoccupied. Luke chapter 14. Watch this. Jesus tells this amazing story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he's talking about the kingdom. He's prepared a great feast. People did not get a glimpse inside that dining room. Otherwise, they would have thrown everything and gone. We do what we want to do, really, don't we? We can make things happen if we really... Look, I can't come today because I've just got there. But if you really wanted to go, you'd flick whatever it was and you'd be there. How do I know that? Because I'm like that. (laughs) All of us are just like the rest of us. Let's be honest. You know, If yeah, anyway. He began to send out the servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must go and inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I I, I want to try them out. So please excuse me. Another said, I I now have a wife. Now I get this one. (laughs) And I can't understand why the Lord didn't say, oh, you're excused. You can come another time. I understand the wife, the thing. He says, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. It says, go quickly into the streets, the alleys, the town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Because it's a message to the Jewish people who are rejecting the call of Jesus. And He's going, we're going to take it to the, to the nations of the world now. That's, I'm glad they rejected it in that many ways because uh, we're, we're here today as a result of that. Uh, although I think the Lord would have found another way. Because uh, he so loved the world, he sent his only son. But anyway, that's irrelevant at the moment. After the servant had done this, he reported there is still room for more. So his master says, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges. Urge anyone you find to come to, so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Are we setting ourselves up to not even get the smallest taste of our God-ordained destiny? You know, from this parable, Jesus is actually challenging us to the level of devotion he is calling us to. To be... Literal followers of Jesus to to take up our cross. He leads on from this parable into those very words. You you want to be my disciple? He says, you need to be prepared to unconditionally abandon everything and come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. We will not even get a a taste of our God-ordained destiny. What is written in our book, Psalm 139 verse 16. If we allow things, even good things to get in our way. The first one says, I have bought a block of land. Buying a block of land is not a bad thing. But it had become a weight that slowed this man down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've got a little bit involved in investment outside of my role here in the church, and I've dabbled in things. But every now and then I get a, a check, an uh-uh, from the Holy Spirit that says, thus far, no further. I don't want you caught up in that world. I've called you to something different. He's allowed me to have investments in certain areas and what have you. But there are times where he says, thus far, no further. Because it'll become a weight that holds me down. Some of you are here. You're right into investment. It's probably what you're called to. Do it with all your heart. Do it for the glory of God. Build the kingdom with your entrepreneurial spirit and make that uh, an honoring thing for Jesus. But it's not what I'm called to. So I've got to determine what things will weigh me down from laying a hold of that for which Jesus laid a hold of me so buying a block of land financial investment can be a good thing as long as it doesn't weigh you down buying five pairs of oxen tools and equipment for the trade that they, they can be a good thing because he calls us to be good stewards he calls us to develop and grow in the area of our expertise and our giftings and our talents and our abilities marrying a wife is a good thing and i know that for a fact because proverbs eighteen twenty two says he who finds a wife finds a a good thing it actually uses those words he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Some of you are sitting here going, I've missed something here. <laughs> but listen to me. The point Jesus is making in this parable is this. Don't miss this. Have the good things in life become bad things. Because they've given you a reason to not surrender your whole heart to God. If we would just surrender wholeheartedly, we would we would taste our destiny and realize the insignificance and cheapness of the things that we've been hanging on to, the things that he calls us to let go of. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. The inference in this passage is a desperate, violent stripping off. Let, let me let me. Sh- is Greg Edwards here today? Greg's not here today. Greg's a water skier, or he used to be. He's probably getting too old for it now. Greg's a water skier. <laughs> Greg does not go water skiing in his snow skiing outfit. Can you imagine if you came off the skis on Lake Macquarie in a snow skiing outfit? You'd go to the bottom pretty quick, wouldn't you? So I can't imagine if Greg's out there in, in a, just a moment that he's just lost the plot and he's skiing in his snow skiing outfit... And all of a sudden he comes off, and as he's sinking to the bottom, I can't imagine him sort of going, oh no, I can't take it off, my microphone's attached to it. I was going to fold it neatly and put it on the chair. I can't imagine him doing that. I think he would be desperately ripping off every bit of clothing he could so he could get back to where the oxygen was. We're allowing things to take us further away from the oxygen of heaven And deeper into stuff that will not fulfill our heart, will not fulfill our dreams, will not give us satisfaction. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Holiness is just simply saying, God, I'm owned by you. Today, I want to live for you. Help me align my life more and more to the promises in your word, to the declarations in your word, to the principles in your word. Because I want to see you in every aspect of my life. That's what holiness will produce. The Bible describes describes Christian discipleship like a race. Successful runners stay focused and they run as lightly clad as possible. That's what this passage is telling us. While everyone runs in the race, not everyone will finish well because they're carrying too much weight. Don't look at the person next to you. (laughs) And I'm not talking about body fat. I'm talking about stuff that we won't let go of. And that's why many of us don't finish the race. Far too many of us will allow ourselves to become weighed down with discouragement. Far too many of us will allow ourselves to get distracted. Far too many of us will get hurt along the way. And while some will push through those hurts, others will grow bitter and give up with the emotional pain Challenges. If you've never been hurt in church life, you're new. <laughs> if you have never been hurt in the journey of doing life in the church, you haven't been here very long. Stay around long enough, you will get hurt. Somebody will offend you. Somebody will let you down. <laughs> let me finish, Charlotte. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. You will get hurt. And the sad thing is, it's those very things that take so many out of the race. It's those very things that just cut the legs from under you. I love the church. As long as the church does what I want, when I want, gives me what I want, when I want, lets me do what I want, when I want. I love the church. But at the moment, that the church doesn't let me do that. I hate the church. I hate it. It's a dreadful place. It's just a shocking place to be. I'll never go back to church. somebody rings me and offers me something I want. And then I'll come back again. It's like, let me tell you, you will not finish your race. You will not embrace your destiny. You will not grow in your faith level. You will not grow closer to Jesus. We have got to allow these things to grow us, not destroy us. I'm just getting ready to wrap up here. What is weighing you down? What sin is tripping you up? What is blocking you from fulfilling what is written in your book? your destiny, your purpose? Is it a relationship or a friendship? A relationship or a friendship that is actually pulling you further away from Jesus than it is taking you to Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked. It horrifies me, the amount of young people that are hooking up with non-Christian people. Are they bad people? Not necessarily. But do they have the same values? Do they have the same conviction? Are they wanting to chase Jesus? When I started going out with Margot, Margot's dad was so against me being in her life. And I know now why. I'd only been saved about 18 months when we started dating. He didn't know whether I was going to last another six months. He didn't know whether I was going to just be the good Christian person who would come to church regularly until I got a ring on a finger. And then when I had her, I then stopped going to church. I then stopped uh, going down the path that, that she'd been raised to walk on. He wanted to know that I was on the same page. That's what unequally yoked means. I sat with a young couple uh, many years ago, and he was an unsaved man. She was in the church, and they wanted to get married. And I'm thinking, you've been in the church long enough, darling, to know this is unbiblical. It's not scriptural. And I looked at them and I thought, you obviously don't get it. So I thought, how do I say this without offending? So I ended up, I just said said to him, I said, listen, I said, I'm not sure that this is blessed of God. That got me offside straight away. But how else do you approach this subject? I said, I'm not sure that this is blessed of God. I I said, let me give you an example. I said, let's say she's a concert pianist. And I said, it's her life. It's her career. It's everything. She plays nonstop morning till night. But you actually hate the sound of the piano. How do you think that's going to go in your marriage? He said, oh, probably not real good. I said, you know, she's been raised in the church. She comes to church. You don't have any interest in church. And he'd already shared that with me. So I was able to have that candid conversation. And I said, how do you think that's going to go? Oh, if she wants to go to church, I'm okay with that. I don't mind going to church. Yeah, now it's like that. But I have seen that so often. And you know something? Sometimes the unsafe person eventually gets saved. Bert and Delma Geary are a classic example of that. Bert was unsaved when Delma married him, and much to the horror of her parents, but Bert came through. But that's not the norm. More often than not, the unchurched person pulls the other one away. And I've seen that over and over and over again. Is it a relationship or a friendship that is pulling you away from your destiny that ultimately you think is going to make you happy, but, but at the end of the day, when you don't fulfill your destiny, you're going to live dissatisfied, you're going to live frustrated, you're going to Man, I hope this is okay. There's a There's a call from heaven right now for the church to stand up and be the church. What what is distracting you? Is it a hobby or an interest? And I shared about the pipe band. What is it for you? You know, it's scary the amount of people who miss church cuz oh, I'm at the soccer it's just unfortunate that it's on a Sunday. Yeah, it's unfortunate churches church is on a Sunday too. Isn't it unfortunate, though, that we're not saying, I can't go to the soccer, I've got to go to church. Rather than, I can't go to church, I've got to go to the soccer. Now, soccer's one thing. It could be a whole host of things. But it concerns me, the amount of people who don't have kingdom purpose and are not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. First. First means first top of the priority list and we wonder why we're frustrated we wonder why we're not getting a breakthrough it's because we're not actually holy god is not first when god is first you're holy you belong to him but when he's not first in your life anyway that's another argument is it a resentment towards others an unforgiveness that you won't let go of you've got to get over it you've you've heard me say this before acid unforgiveness is like acid acid does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than to the object upon which it is poured if you've got unforgiveness in your heart you think you're going to get somebody you're doing horrible things to them, you're thinking horrible thoughts, you're you're, you're making life miserable for them, you're pouring acid on them, let me tell you something, that in you is doing more damage to your heart, your soul than you will ever do to their life and when God is calling you to forgive and let go and we refuse to it's like Saul who's told to destroy the Amalekites, annihilate it. Well, I'll, I'll let go a little bit. I'll just hate them a little bit. I'll just not like them. I just, won't, I just won't look to reconcile with them, but I won't think about them anymore. No, it's what Saul did with the Amalekites. Saul was told to destroy the whole lot of them, cut the legs from under them, obliterate every sign or trace or scent of them from the face of the earth. You've got to do that with unforgiveness. You've got to obliterate it out of your heart. Best way to do it is start to pray for those people. Oh, that's a hard one to do. I know, I've been there. But the Holy Spirit helps us. And eventually, something transforms on the inside where you don't then have behavior modification where you say, well, I, I just won't think bad thoughts about, oh, man, there's another thought. I just No, I'm just going to think nice things. And I, it's, it's, it's behavior modification. It can only happen when the Holy Spirit gets inside of us and changes us from the inside out. Is it a habit or a lifestyle choice that you know deep down is a contradiction to the higher life that you've been called to. It's time to surrender afresh to Jesus.